Alright, welcome to the Supplemental Series Volume 3, Folk Singer's Choice. I am here today once again as always. Kelly, how's it going, Kelly? It's good. How are you? It's good. What's what's wrong? You sound distressed. I don't know. It's. I feel like I've always been podcasting and I will always be podcasting and there will never not be a podcasting to podcast. Do you know what we're doing right now? Folk Singer's Choice from no. Marshall. No. We're podcasting. <gasps> That was Bob Dylan, just one man doing all that, playing the mouth harp and the guitar, because you, well, when you do this, you have to wear a little sort of what another person might call a, a necklace, yeah, and then it's got um, joints so that you can bring the mouth harp up to where you can reach it to play it. Bob Dylan is well, you must be twenty years old now, aren't yeah, you? Yeah, must be twenty. <laughs> Are you? <laughs> yeah, 20. I'm 20. When I first heard Bob Dylan was, I think, about three years ago in Minneapolis. And at that time, you were thinking of being a rock and roll singer, weren't you? At that time, I was just sort of doing nothing. I was there. Uh, but you were studying. I was working, I guess. I, I was uh, I was making pretend I was going to school out there. I'd just come there from South Dakota. That was about three years ago. Yeah. Yeah. I'd come there from Sioux Falls. And, that was only about the place. You didn't have to go too far to find the Mississippi River. It runs right through the town, you know. <laughs> I didn't think that this was actually available, but weirdly, last year, Pacifica, which also puts out like Democracy Now!, they released this. It's actually on SoundCloud, so we've actually reblogged it on our SoundCloud, mm. if that's the right verbiage. Uh, so you can actually listen to this if you've never heard of Folk Singer's Choice or didn't know. But yeah, this is a 1961 recording of Bob Dylan playing... Two of his own songs, The Death of Emmett Till, or The Ballad of Emmett Till, whichever one you prefer, and Standing on a Highway. So those are two songs you might not have heard or heard in a long time. And then a, a couple of just knocked out of the park kind of covers. So if you're curious, please go to our SoundCloud or just, I don't know, type in Folk Singer's Choice. I'm sure that that's going to be one of the first things there. So Kelly, we um, we spent a week just like we normally do on our regular podcast listening to this for the entire week. This is the first time we ever made a supplemental playlist just for ourselves, but we're actually we actually just made it for ourselves. But we're actually going to release it with this episode because it's pretty great. Some of these these versions um, really paid off. So how was your how was your week to treat it like a normal episode with Folk Singer's Choice? So I listened to just the songs that he did first, and it was okay. And then once he started talking, I don't know. I had a lot of feelings listening to this. It reminded me a lot of the first episode we did where we talked about Bob Dylan and the blues. Outlaw blues episode six. Yeah. Yeah. So, and how like the appropriation of, of blues music by white people and like, how does this often, because a lot of these songs are blues songs and it just like, it makes me feel weird when I listen to it because it feels like it's not genuine and it's appropriative and it's like stealing and, but then also, like, I don't know. It makes me have a lot of hard, weird feelings. But I like when he says, wow, wow, wow. Bob Dylan picking up his guitar. Didn't know that he was going to spark this debate didn't know. here today know, right? on some day in a bunker where nuclear war has destroyed our entire civilization. <laughs> I 
and we are still debating definitely gonna happen. what all of this is. So before we get into that, let's just well let's table that for a minute. We enjoy when he goes wow wow. Let's I, let's continue. I like from the there. conversation <laughs> that they have is really great. Yeah. Oh um, wait, the conversation with Bob and Cynthia, not yes. between us. <laughs> no, our conversations our, are garbage. Oh yes, they are. Thank God we're not recording them. No. Um, but yeah, I, I like the way that they they talk, and it, and also it made me feel. Like, again, I have a lot of mixed feelings about this, and they waver in and out. This both made me, like, angrier and then happier at the same time, them talking about it. Because at least he is, and she is, mostly, like, crediting the artists that he lifted most of his stuff from. But are they fully? Because, I mean, we talked about this, too, where what if... You know, because his versions sometimes don't even go back. We found further back versions on Spotify for some of them. I mean, what is that? How do we not know there's not only further and further and further back versions? I mean, how do we know Robert Johnson didn't, you know, again, sign a deal with the devil and take the devil songs? I mean, what kind of appropriation is that, stealing from the devil? That's the thing, right? Yeah, that's that's the the myth around him. That's so funny. And that's why he died when he did. But yeah, I mean... I, you know, what you're saying makes sense. And again, this guy's fighting and stealing records. You know, he doesn't have Spotify where he can just type in and steal all he wants. You know, he's got to fight to steal something. And, you know, there's a couple, again, like we said, that he got wrong. So where do you draw the line? You know, is Cynthia wrong? Is Bob wrong? Is the person who actually did it first wrong for not being more famous than the one that made it famous? I think it becomes this weird cutthroat thing where, yeah, they might be more famous and do the song right, but like, you know, you can have a Bob Dylan come in and do it a different way and take all the thunder from the other person. Or you can have the the inverse of it, you know, somebody who's lesser than Bob Dylan doing a better version. I mean, there's tons of Bob Dylan songs that are better sung by other people. And I don't know. It, I think for uh, me, the, the reason why it makes me feel uncomfortable is specifically when he's doing uh, like work songs or songs that are specifically about slavery and what it is to be that or even being born black in a very even more hostile than now time period where to me like fixing to die when uh bucket white sings it is like i'm black and that's what he says i was born to die and like that's right bob dylan can't ever know that feeling and it seems when he sings it that's what appropriation is like i'm taking that feeling that i can't ever actually genuinely possess because i will never have been a black person and making okay. it something that I am now, it's my experience. And that's just not true. I'm looking fun in my eyes now. Leave on fixing to die. Leave on fixing to die. I'm looking fun in my eyes now. Leave on fixing to die. I know I was born to die, but I ain't leave my children crying. There's a show we live at show we bound to die, show we bound to die. There's a show we live show we bound to die. It's easier to just say, well, then fuck it, we shouldn't do anything. Like, Yeah, I, th- I agree. And yeah. that's that's not fair either. I'm saying that this makes me feel weird because of these reasons. That's why we should have conversations like this. Yeah, that's we what we're doing. always bring this up. Yeah, exactly. Like, I guess that's that's important too is that we're giving – context to these songs and i think with context comes not only a responsibility to to deal with history but also another unique opportunity where 
well, when you, you don't have context and you hear it right away, I think jumping to that kind of a conclusion is it makes sense. Like if that's if that's on your mind and you're thinking about that, you hear a white guy singing the blues, right? Without any information, I think getting to that context, getting to that conclusion makes sense. But when you have all of these contextual things in front of you, I can understand where you feel weird or whatever like that. But I think that with the facts, because it's certainly not as simple as Bob Dylan stole, Bob Dylan didn't credit, Bob Dylan didn't do all of these things, which are, those are the keystones of appropriation, stealing, taking away, you know, sort of completely delegitimizing and erasing the other, which in this case would be black, brown, whatever the hell, if we're looking at it from a white context. How do you think this is different? What, why do you feel this is different? Why do you feel like Bob Dylan is... Well, because I think, for one, we, we're using the words of today and the nomenclature and how we see the world today, and we try to impose it on the past, which I think is always going to be – it's just never going to come out how we want it to because too many people are always going to look bad because it just it's a different world. And I know that that's another – that's an easy escape. I'm stealing. Heard a mama, what you tell on me? Well, I'm stealing back to my good old used to be. You're going to be satisfied looking at somebody today, as we talked about in episode six, where you can see right off the bat that things are awry. You can tell with current music, culture, movies, all of that, whitewashing to literally taking on personas um, that white people taking on brown personas. Those are things that just are red flags. But when you try to look back on this, I think that's where context matters, because, again, we're talking about a 20 year old kid. We all do this. Bob Dylan's under a microscope. If we had our entire lives recorded and played back, I would have a lot of troubling things. I'm not, certainly not as talented oh, yeah. as Bob Dylan. Me too. But I mean, everybody has. Yeah, that. and you and should so, grow as a person. Well, and he certainly did. He's yeah. not playing these songs for the rest of his life. He completely moved on. He moved on literally in months. These songs that he's playing, he wanted to put on his record. One of them, "Fixing to Die," is the only song that makes it on the record. Mm-hmm. Even his songs that he wrote didn't even make it on it. So he just completely moved on. And he kept he kept growing. So like, why were these songs the ones that were being played? It's not that it was white people that he was hearing singing them. It was because he searched out Robert Johnson. He searched out black artists doing black music. That's what he was into. That's what America was into. That's just the stone cold fact, and it always has been the fact. Yeah, it still, it is. still is. Yeah. And there's nothing inherently wrong with that. There just there can't be anything inherently wrong with that, right? I mean, it's just music. I like what I like. You like what you like. Corn came out of it. Cold Chamber came. <laughs> you know, all they all do. The, every single thing we listen to came out of black music in the 1920s and 30s. Right? Am I you're, wrong? You or? know you're going to have to live with you saying that, like, you know, we got Corn and Cold Chamber out of this. <laughs> <laughs> On, like, this epic podcast where there's no context to the other episodes before. And I just throw Corn and Cold Chamber out of nowhere. Oh, my God. Because you're their number one fans. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Damn it. Oh. I think that. This is a really close tie-in with our conversation about separating art from artists, because Elliot, that's come up a lot right, recently. Yeah. Because it's it's true. It's and it's because I'm having these like visceral reactions to them, where it's like when you critically think about things, which is that's the mission statement that's of the, the podcast. Mission statement of the podcast. Uh, it, you you should be challenging yourself. You should mm-hmm. be really exploring stuff and. 
thinking about problematic artists that you enjoy is that's part of that's critical thinking and this kind of thing too there's a lot of cute great moments on mm-hmm. this uh recording with, with cynthia getting i forgot the name of folks in your choice yeah. <laughs> um and and but the those things that i was thinking of like how this is appropriative or how this makes me uncomfortable is part of that critical thinking it's like i can still enjoy this mm-hmm. there are things to that's be good. enjoyed about this as long as you recognize there's this whole other piece of it that maybe not even he's doing, but they're just like, I don't know, being a socially conscious fucking person. Like, we are. But, yeah. he, he, you know, again, his social consciousness is something very different than ours. Like you alluded to before, it was a, it's, it was a different time. It was a way more perilous time where, you know, even the songs that we're talking about, Emmett Till, that's not something that's 70 years removed. That's, you know five years removed what's well, now it's philando castillo no, no absolutely everything yeah. absolutely but people yeah. were being outright straight up lynched in the streets mm-hmm. and those echoes are certainly reverberating and i think right. that's bringing up a lot of a lot of this and and that's gets back to history it doesn't repeat but it rhymes i mean it's who said that that's a great line that's mark twain of course it is because oh, nice. he says all the best things so <laughs> yeah but it's great because it does and it's exactly almost that one-to-one and and so when we talk about that I, my mind goes right back to the 60s this boy's fit for tragedy He should all remember well The color of his skin was black And his name was Emmett Till Some men, they dragged him to a barn And there they beat him up They said they had a reason But I disremember what They tortured him and did some things Too evil to repeat There was screaming sounds inside the barn There was laughing sounds out on the street Then they rolled his bar down a gulf amidst a blood red rain and they threw him in the waters wide to cease his screaming pain the reason that they killed him I think you're right about critical thought it's it's important and that's part of it for sure but also having all of the information is also important where I think and I again I think maybe the problem too is that we're tackling these really large issues with an artist. It's hard not to be defensive when you've heard everything right. and we've only heard 30 songs. That's maybe a little unfair. And so I think tackling it, talking about it has to be in a different sort of vein. So I hear what you're saying. I certainly do. And I don't think that we interact with this type of music as much as we maybe want to. I mean, I certainly want to interact with it a lot more than I ever did before just starting this podcast. But I think that those are things I don't even think about because I don't even listen to that type of music anymore. Mm-hmm. So when I hear Bob Dylan, it's almost this warm wash over me. Whereas for you, it'd be like me sitting down with Donovan and trying to like wrestle. <laughs> oh, Donovan. You know, just, I mean, it's somebody that I don't know, like, right. and I'm trying to wrestle with it and I'm trying to have an opinion that's beyond like, this song is good and this song is bad. It's like, I, I, I understand that. And having an opinion is, is awesome. Well, uh, speaking of context. Yeah. I haven't listened to a lot of Bob Dylan. I don't know the whole picture, but the pieces that I've gotten so far, uh, the listening to um, Triplicate and listening to uh, Theme Time Radio, if anything. Yes. 
this guy loves music. And like, that's what I took away from those two things. And if I didn't have that piece, I would stop the conversation with myself at this is weird and it makes me uncomfortable and this yeah. is appropriate. But I don't, I don't like it. But like, this dude loves music. Listening to him talk on the, I, I gushed about that already. Listening to him talk on theme mm-hmm. time radio, he knows these people. He, he, he wants to honor these people and praise these people. And, and like, so you got to give him a little bit of slack. I think, yeah, not even slack. Just I think that's exactly what we're saying is that yeah. if the idea is that nobody is giving credit, I don't think there's anybody out there giving as much credit as Bob Dylan doing his fucking part as a chain in the link. I mean, that's the idea is that he's another chain. Buka White is a part of that chain. Scottish folk singers all the way to Africa beating on rocks and drums, whatever the fuck. You know, they're all a chain that connects all of human experience and human pain and misery and suffering and we live a pretty posh and simple life but i think i think that there's two ways to look at music it's either that it is a piece and and both i think are valid one is that it's an author writing a piece of music they have their own agenda it's whatever that's probably the most common sort of thing and i think that's an instructive way to look at people when you start to examine lyrics and all this kind of stuff but i also think as somebody who's made music and also as somebody who thinks that Battlestar Galactica is nonfiction, <laughs> the world, there is a vibration in the world that I think you tap into. And I think it's for somebody, I, I'm not going to pretend like I've written songs that have changed the world, but I know what it's like where you f- hit this weird groove and you just feel it. You feel something almost pulling you and you're just, everything's connecting. And to hear not just Bob Dylan, but songwriters all over the place that have all said, Oh, I wrote, you know, Blowing in the Wind for him, he wrote in 10 minutes. And uh, and somebody like Leonard Cohen's Hallelujah took him two and a half hours. And because Bob Dylan was like, yeah, I wrote I and I, which is another classic song. It was like 15 minutes. And it's like, it's like those things that, or Bob Dylan struggled for four years to write a song. I mean, like he said about Tangled Up in Blue, it took me four years to write, but 10 years to live. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's that hard one sort of, it's tapping into an energy that music provides. And you either just you if you don't if you don't write music and you don't believe in that kind of stuff, that's understandable. But then there's a level of you know the Cylons are connecting into something out there in the universe, all along the Watchtower, sitting there waiting for somebody to pluck it. Now, who is the person plucking it? I don't think I don't think the gods care. It's Starbucks. Oh, I don't think. Oh no, it is the gods. Yeah, because they do gods. Yeah, it's Starbucks, right? So Starbucks <laughs> plucking it out. But it could have been anybody. It could have been Avery. There's not an Avery. Something like that. Gaius? Gaius. Oh, God, I love Gaius. (laughs) Who's the guy who's not Gaius, but the guy with Starbucks? Oh, her boyfriend. The one that actually writes it, right? Lee, right? That sounds right. What's the Well, Lee, that's his son. Adana. Adama. Lee, there's Daddy Adama and then Lee Lee is who I'm thinking of. Because that's like. But the one who actually sits down and writes the Bob Dylan song is the. Oh, I forgot. Her like sports ball playing Fohawk boyfriend. Yeah. Fun. We need to watch that show again. Whoa, yeah. I forgot that that guy, because he, like, something happened to him, and he was, like, in a coma or something, right? Yeah. Or and then he, like, came back. Or... He ended up being the one that wrote the song in the first place, awesome. not her dad. Where, like, so the whole thing was it was her dad who was playing it, and she had to, like, write the notes that right, she right. saw in the stars, and, like, I don't know. That show's amazing. <laughs> Anyways, there's that level of, like, and, and I, for me, I think that there's a... If, if when you hear a song about something and you know, again, by information that you have in front of you that this song is about slavery, about something very specific, then when you listen to a white boy singing a song, 
that inherently kind of, it can take you out of it or it makes you not pay attention or whatever the case may be. But I think a lot of times what songs do best is that they're not hyper, they're not hyper specific and that they carry with them an emotion and sure that emotion came from a, a place of great pain and it moved on to an emotional pain, uh, just a modern heartbreak. But there are songs that are going to move you in the same way a slave narrative is going to move you. I think it's just how it's sung, who's singing it, what's being played. It, it's really tapping into those musical, that wavelength that we all share and how does it tickle us. And I think, you know, Bob Dylan, none of these songs like move me to tears or anything like that. But there are those moments that I feel like he's tapping into something. And people who saw him live during the time said the same thing. He was tapping into something that nobody else was doing, black, white, anybody. It was There was something coming out of him that was unexpected from some Minnesota farm boy that was special. And whatever that was, it is. And whatever it became, he's obviously an American icon. He's a legend. He's will always be remembered for whatever it is that he's done. Write songs, I guess, is what he does. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what we're doing here. But, yeah, I don't know. Those are my two. It's you either artist or, or wavelength. And I think there's a little bit of both. Johnny. And I, I think if you, again, take that personal, per, his personality into your listening experience, you're not going to be very happy with even his 20-year-old self. He's a fucking liar. Bob Dylan's a liar. Oh, my God. Yeah. I and mean, everything he says is just a Let's lie. Let's get into the liar, Bob so, Dylan. There's so many great things. For for what it's worth, I wanted to say that this yeah. was really cool. Uh, I love his voice. How does he do that? And, like, thinking about it, he's 20. 20. He has, like, the, the weird depth and I don't know what you want to say, like... People comment on Adele's voice not seeming to belong to the person that she is. And looking at little dorky Bob Dylan, especially in the picture that I have on my little booklet here, th that sound shouldn't be able to come out of that person. And that's pretty cool. Yeah, we haven't even hit uh, anything from – I mean I guess we've done uh, – talking John Birch, Society Blues. That was recorded roughly right after this. Mm -hmm. So we're talking – yeah, he hadn't even recorded his, his opening album yet. So yeah, he's – we're not even in freewheeling territory. So I think once we start to get to those songs – I think it'll dawn on us a little bit more and really kind of showcase kind of how different he is even on there to hear, but how amazing of a songwriter he becomes taking from the best. I mean, these songs are fucking great mm -hmm. and they're nuanced oh, and yeah. they're wonderful. And even all the iterations that we have, again, you can check that out on our website, um, sotwpod.com and in the show notes, you can see all the versions that we chose for this. Some of them are, are obvious, but some of them we've tried to surprise you a little bit with all the songs. So let's, let's jump into it, I guess. Um, if that works for you. Yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, so, I mean, let's talk about his lying right off the bat. So that that was really the thing <laughs> the about it. The carnival thing? Incredible. Oh, my God. So just briefly tell me, Bob Dylan's early childhood history, he just grew up in Minnesota, right? Mm -hmm. Like pretty generic family life kind of thing? Yeah. Like went to school? Went to school, yeah. Um, you know, dad was, I guess dad was kind of 
doting and then Bob sort of rebelled against dad and I think it kind of haunted him throughout his years you know sort of kind of being like that but no just normal loved his family loved his just a good old boy I mean he went back for to Christmas even when he was in New York you know he made sure to come back and be the good son so he definitely didn't spend six years in the carnival no six years in the carnival no so uh yeah (laughs) Minneapolis they both met there which is kind of crazy so Cynthia Gooding and that's where he started lying he was like yeah I just got back from South Dakota so he he hadn't come back from South Dakota (laughs) she said when I met you you were dreaming of being a rock star and he said no I wasn't doing that he was doing that um came from South Dakota Sioux Falls Sioux Falls shout out born in Sioux Falls so what's up so I'm gonna go ahead and just say motherfucker you did not come from sioux falls <laughs> and also when you say that the mississippi is running through the town bro it's the missouri i mean it's a sioux river technically but the missouri river is what you're thinking of the mississippi is fucking way off my man get it together <laughs> um yeah and then they mentioned gertie's which he did sing at gaslight that's another um bootleg that we'll eventually get to which is in new york or? uh yeah the gaslight cafe and that's where the gaslight anthem get their their name yeah. from as well and then cafe was another famous one and he did play harmonica so that was true although i can't vouch for the one dollar and a cheeseburger thank don't okay. know about that, that although made up well, although i don't know I, I don't know what a dollar was back then so that's one that i'm i know i'm kind of on the fence about but he did play harmonica for um for him um didn't get into rock music that's not true um but he was into johnny cash money waters what he got three hank williams that's obviously uh he's writing his own songs that's true i love the whole bit about healthy cigarettes Oh, good, yeah, that's good great. jokes that even like Mad Men, they make it seem like people didn't quite know. But even in the 60s, early 60s, everyone knew that cigarettes were bad oh, for yeah. you. Um, he, you know, and then he's like, I play once in a while. I play more than folk music. I mean, he does inherently. But then I think his most honest was when he said, I copied the best songs that I could find, which is true. And he has impeccable taste. But in terms of being in the carnival for six years, get it together. <laughs> Although the palm reading stuff does come up. And one of my favorite songs, definitely a top fiver, not just on a playlist, but Spanish Harlem Incident. That I actually covered, which whenever we get that, oh, everybody stay tuned. Um, he has a woman who's reading his palms uh, in that, which is really cool. And then some people see like the tarot cards and stuff like that as, you know, Sarah eventually has a sort of like card influence. I mean, cards show up in so many of Bob Dylan's songs. Oh, yeah, she, and she talked about like the, the eight means delay and, and the ace of spades means uh, death. Yeah. And he's sitting here like, I don't, I don't know anything about She's like, it. Oh, you read cards too? And he's like. No. no, but then like Sarah was into it, and then he by by you know proxy was into it as well, and he started to see Sarah as like a soothsayer and sort of a mm. sort of a voice like that. So I think that there was a little bit of that always inside of him. But also the eight of uh, the the death thing. I, that's what we talked about before we came on. Is that Bob Dylan reading the biographies and stuff? The dude was obsessed by with death, even from a, as being a young kid. And all of the early songs he writes are all about death. And so I think getting back just really quickly to that sort of pain, I mean, that I think that's more of an internal type of thing where he's just kind of screaming, thinking he's just going to he's going to be like everyone else. He's going to be like Buddy Holly. He's going to just die. Like somehow he's just going to like wind himself to death. And so he's just going nuts and he's going for it. And I think it shows that he's going for it because he's not really restrained, even for like a random radio broadcast. I mean, he didn't really phone it in because he certainly phones it in later. So. Just the whole thing about, like, I learned to sing at the carnival. There was this this girl there who was badly burned, and I wrote a song about her. Uh, I don't have it anymore. Uh, but. Still missing. Not a thing. Because <laughs> it never existed. Yeah. And actually, weird, weirdly, I looked it up today. Clinton Highland devotes a pr- – I did not read it because I was like, I can't even do this today. I'm, I'm over this entire process at this point. <laughs> but apparently he notes it. He notes it in his, like, all the songs written by Bob Dylan. And, oh, no kidding. Uh, and, uh, yeah, and he sort of uh, – there's no – 
the little bits that I caught is like, it's still missing. It's not around. But here's what it could have sounded like. And here's what he was pulling from. Not the carny, but his friends. Th- mm. This person is this person. This is what's going on. Yeah. Will you buy me a postcard or whatever is the name of the song? Come on. Get Come on. Uh, yeah, the songs themselves um, are excellent did you have any favorites right off the bat or um the the death of emmett tills my favorite yeah for sure reminded me a lot of uh prosser's gabriel from um, oh tim barry what's up does anyone know the name gabriel prosser my conscience says he's the one the history missed a blacksmith by trade up at brookfield plantation the henrico county slave born to owner thomas if you listen closely, you'll hear the words perfect. The Caribbean uprising caught fire in this land. Up and down the James River, a monkey and Appomattox. Tobacco soil gone bad, afforded movement for the blacks. Nine years before, uh, down in Santa This is great, and it's a fucking sad story, and it's, it's absolutely 1,000% relevant today. And It is. Ridiculously uh, relevant today. Sounds great. Um, I guess he took the melody of the song from a guy named Len Chandler, uh, a song that he wrote and sang but never recorded called The Bus Driver, which he was found actually it. about a uh, uh, bus crash, a uh, train collided with a bus. He mentioned that in Colorado. I know. Oh. Yeah, like Greeley, Colorado on uh, oh, Greeley, no shit. December 15th, 1961. Wow. So uh, Len Chandler uh, saw this headline and wrote a song about it called The, yeah. the Bus Driver. That's never crazy. recorded it, yeah. I, because I wrote it as a note, I was like, read the room, bro. Like, after this was over, he's just like, she's like, this is a great song. It's almost like it's being performed without you even singing words or whatever. It just sounds so natural. And he's just like, yeah, yeah. There's also this crazy bus crash that where 27 <laughs> people died. But yeah, it was cool. That was fine. Like, read the room, bro. Like, just like, take the compliment. You don't have to go right to the bus crashes. Like, man. Uh, until, yeah, it was fascinating. Like, I, Here's a, the crazy stuff for me uh, with the Emmett Till thing is that um, obviously Len Chandler. I'm glad we found the the thing because I didn't even know how to start looking for that. Um, it's got shades of House of the Rising Sun, which it will be on his first album, sort of the way that he's playing it. Um, but when I was looking into Le, uh, was it Lee Chandler or Len Chandler? Len, Len Chandler. Mm-hmm. Um, I started with Wikipedia, and this is the first time that I ever saw quote the death of Emmett Till, as known at, also known as the Ballad of Emmett Till, is sung by American musician and Nobel laureate Bob Dylan. Oh! Shit. Shit. People be updating that wiki. On every song, apparently. <laughs> I haven't checked any others, but this here we are. a warm tingle to your heart? No, it kind of makes me insanely ambivalent. <laughs> Aggressively Aggressively, am- yeah. <laughs> That's about right. Yeah. There's really no feeling. It was more of a, huh. That's it. That's all I can muster. Uh, Emmett Till, of course, we kind of talked about it, but I think just for, for anybody, we'll get into it. Um, but the story is crazy. So he's a 14-year-old African-American boy, lynched, thrown in a river, shot in the face, 1955, um, for offending a white woman. Apparently he whistled at her, but she admitted last year, uh, the reporter found her, and she just straight up admitted that, like, yeah, he probably, like, whistled at her or whatever it was. But, like, that's obviously not a fucking reason for anyone to fucking die. But also she was like, I made up. All of the physical advances, all of everything about it was all just fabricated. And everybody like knew that. And they were acquitted by an all-white jury. And then right after, they admitted to doing it. And because of double jeopardy, they can't be tried again. Oh um, so they were boycotted, threatened because they ran a store. 
attacked, humiliated by local residents. Shouts to local residents. They moved Doing to Texas. The right they were shouted down and completely fucking like ostracized there. Shouts to Texas residents. Um, one of the people that did it died in uh, 1980. Uh, the other died in 1994, both of cancer, and I hope they fucking suffered. Um, and then Brian expressed absolutely no remorse for the crime. She didn't even know that Emmett's – this was – I forget what the context was, but Emmett Till's mom was like right in the audience or something around when oh she was asked if you God. have any remorse. And she just said, Emmett Till is dead. I don't know why we can't, why he can't just stay dead. Oh, my God. And then Stephen Whitaker notes – and this was in um, Eyes on the Prize, which was the 14-part PBS documentary – uh, I guess you might have wrote this somewhere or something, but I found it very interesting as sort of this was the lead into the entire civil rights movement that sort of just escalated precipitously after this event. So he says, quote, Mississippi became in the eyes of the nation the epitome of racism and the citadel of white supremacy. From this time on, the slightest racial incident anywhere in the state was spotlighted and magnified to the Negro race throughout the South. And to some extent in other parts of the country, this verdict indicated an end to the system of the noblesse oblige. The faith in the all-white power structure waned rapidly. Negro faith in legalism declined, and the revolt officially began on December 1st, 1955, with the Montgomery, Alabama bus boycott. End quote. And uh, this, so that's fascinating. Bob Dylan has a song, an incredible song called Oxford Town, on freewheeling Bob Dylan that talks about four men who were uh, killed in Mississippi um, trying to advocate for, for voting rights. Oxford Town around the bend Come to the door, he couldn't get in All because of the color of his skin What do you think about that, my friend? Me and my gal, my gal son We got met with a tear gas bomb I don't even know why we come Going back where we come from Oxford Town in the afternoon Everybody singing a sorrowful tune Two men died neath the Mississippi moon Somebody better investigate soon Ah, goosebumps thinking about it. Blistering, it's, it's absolutely incredible. But he also, this starts a long tradition for Bob Dylan uh, where he messes up some facts and stuff like that. And I think we talked earlier about what is the songwriter's responsibility to get facts right? Um, I think it's better if you do get facts right because it can be more powerful that way and it sort of stands the test of time. But I think that when you have to change things um, for the sake of the whole overall arc of the song, I think you're forgiven. So like The Lonesome Death of Hattie Carroll, which comes up later, Hurricane, even the abysmal Joey that we listen to, are just – they just have a lot of factual inaccuracies, mm-hmm. if you will. And also just like insane like speculation, if you will. And uh, and I think this does the same. It also just gets really simple facts changed. But I think we can sort of agree that Bob Dylan, this is one of his first like official songs that he's like putting out into the world. So I don't think Bob Dylan, the topical songwriter, the um, what do they call it here? A contemporary songwriter, you know, the contemporary musician uh, is really thinking about that. He's just trying to get a message across. And I think that message still fucking resonates today. Oh, like, yeah. Can we all just be fucking better? Can we all just be fucking <laughs> nice? Treat people the fucking same? Why do we have to keep saying this? So, yeah, it's one of those great songs, and, um, yeah, I'm glad we got to listen to it now, and we'll obviously get into it when we get it later on. Yeah, so. I'm excited to get that song. Yeah. Really good. Cynthia Gooding, though, after this song, and then after a bunch of them, she is gushing. They are flirting Oh, my hard. God. 
Because he, he's like, did you like that? And she's like, oh, oh Bob, or I love nice. it. Oh, no. Did you like that? I sure did. <laughs> All smoky. One of the greatest contemporary ballads I've ever heard. Oh, my God. No sense of being written. That's fine. Oh, my God. Yeah. Dylan, not reading the room, brings up Lee Chandler, Len Chandler, song about a bus crash in Colorado that killed 27 kids. Quote, a fine song. Did you like that? <laughs> Did you like that? Do you like all this children being murdered? Oh, God. It's fine. <laughs> so standing on a highway, that was another, that was a Dylan original, mm-hmm. basically Robert Johnson's Crossroad Blues. Yeah. Um, so while I was on my, again, this was just like a wheel of, this is great. I hate this. This is great. I hate this. And not because, again, the music itself. Yeah. Like trying to remain objective and not bring Getting my all of shit into it. History in America and everything just being wheeled into Bob Dylan's you yes. know, New York studio. Um, we do that with stuff. We do that as human beings. It's, it's hard. Natural. I mean, you take yourself into everything you do. And mm-hmm. You can't not. So that's what I was thinking and feeling. So that's what I was doing with the song. I'm like, But it's taken you places that I think were unexpected. And it's taken me places unexpected. So yeah. I think it's good. Oh, agreed. We need to have hard conversations. Mm-hmm. America, you need yeah. to have had hard conversations. Yeah. Like us today. Yeah. Hard convos. <laughs> So I listened to um, Crossroad Blues, mm-hmm. Robert Johnson. It's not that similar. Uh, the theme is the same. Yeah. I the, think that's what people were basically saying. Yeah. Is, it's like a, you know, what would it be? I mean, it's almost like a copy, but it's not, mm-hmm. you know, sort of the, the next version of it. It's like he listened to it and responded with this. And I think, like, that to me feels a little guilt-free. Like, oh, that's yeah. a complete reinterpretation of an idea not so much a straight up like I stole this thing. Yeah, but covers are a thing. Oh, agreed. I mean, yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> I mean, that's kind of where it gets tough. Cause but like again, even in my pit it. of like this is yeah. all garbage, was like, is it? So. I think it's fun. I think again, it's like people today. You know, we've talked about there are, I mean, thousands of artists that have made odes and songs to Bob Dylan. I mean, this is almost one of those. It's a song. I mean, he has a song called "The Death of Robert Johnson" that has never seen the light of day. I don't even know oh, if really? he's actually recorded it. An early song. So it's obviously he's thinking about Robert Johnson ad nauseum as he's thinking about Woody Guthrie and everybody. I mean, that's who he is right now. Hank Williams, these are his muses. That's where he's going. And um, and yeah, I like the idea that you're talking to your idol, you know, from beyond the grave and beyond space and time. Because even Robert Johnson, you know, he believed in that kind of stuff. That, you know, obviously the whole selling your soul to the devil. I mean, that's bullshit, but he believed that what he was singing in Crossword Blues was certainly one of those, you know, you take life by the horns or you don't. It's you, there is a world, there is a veil, and you will go off to the other side. And obviously his life was very different than Bob Dylan's, very different from us today. And so his world was probably escaping some bullshit. Mm -hmm. Um, But he certainly believed in it and saw it in a very, 
in a, in a very unique way. And I think that's why Robert Johnson still stands the test of time. I mean, you could really fucking say every single thing they, they, they talk about, mm-hmm. like every word they say to each other is gold. Like it's, yeah. it's all ridiculous. I'm like, you're never going to take off the hat, are you? No. Yeah, that ending was great. We got to hear that ending when we listened to episode Hard 12, Hard Times in New York Town, yeah. which is still a great song. I really enjoyed listening to it again. Uh, that's one that kind of you come back to and you're like, okay. I'm not going to be excited about self-portrait re-listens, you know what I mean? Like, But mm. I enjoy the many times we'll probably get to hear uh, Hard Times, which is great. It's good. Uh, Stealing is one of my personal favorites. That always, always stood out to me um, for no real reason except for really the way that he sings it. And then the the Memphis Jug Band, I had no clue that they that they were the ones who did it. That version is smoking hot. Mm. I cannot believe that it sounds this good almost 100 years later. Stealing. Buddy, mama, don't you tell on me I'm stealing back to my same old used to be Now put your arms around me like the circle around the sun I want you to love me, mama, like my easy rider done If you don't believe I love you, look what a fool I've been If you don't believe I'm sinking, look what a hole I'm in Stealing, stealing Buddy, mama, don't you tell on me I'm stealing back to my same all used to be. That's long man, uh, long time man, feel bad. That was that was a crazy song. That was uh, Alan Lomax's recording of the Negro prison songs, or right. I forget exactly the title or where they were. I want to say they were somewhere in Mississippi. Negro pl- prison blues. Negro prison blues. That was the name of the the album that he did. Yeah, and so even that idea, like. I don't. I don't know if I ever really thought about that song before, but like long time, what is it? Long, uh, long time man, as a euphemism of somebody who's imprisoned, mm-hmm. is profound and is beautifully heartbreaking. And just the way that he's singing, basically to his sister and his mm-hmm. mom. It's no one wants to write me. No one wants to write me. Rough, yeah. very rough, but a beautiful song. And and his vocals on that were great. I mean, they were impassioned. That's and a song like that needs that. Regardless of again where it kind of is coming from, because when you listen to Lomax's version, like there's a visceralness even in just the way it's being recorded, the way you can hear the work tools. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's you cannot account for that. And Bob Dylan would never stage some. He's never worked a day in his life. He would never <laughs> stage something like that. You right. know what I mean? He, Twenty years old. He's the most famous person in America. He's never worked a day. He might have gardened at his house, but even that, I'm not really. Who knows? Uh, there's a recording of a, an old work song, Old John Henry, yeah. that this guy redid. And uh, I don't know if we've already talk, done this on this show, but Old John Henry, uh, that's a famous song. Super yeah, famous song. The, he recorded it. I don't know, maybe like 20 years ago. I'm sorry, I don't remember the guy's name, but uh, he took essentially took a pickaxe in the backyard and recreated the sounds because <laughs> somebody, whoever was, maybe it was not that recent. It's probably really old actually, but it sounds perfect. That's why it was mixed up because the recording yeah. sounds. Perfect. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. Um, so he's like, I can't sing this song unless I have an actual pickaxe, and like the only thing you hear is his haunting voice and just like funk, yeah, funk. It's just so good. Yeah, so, that reminds me of that a lot. And that's to me is the benefit of uh, of songs transcending time because that is something that you couldn't. Ca- it's so much capture there, like the rawness of that. But if I was to try to get a kid into this, like as an educational thing, that shit would draw oh, them yeah. in. Boom. Yeah. Boom, and you're drawing on something that is outside of your body. You are going to go off and eat some falafel and go, like, <laughs> live with your family and be happy and do all your shit. But your family, your ancestors didn't get to do that. And it's 
that drawing and even I, yeah any other any other thoughts any other f- uh, songs that you really enjoyed uh hard traveling's cute because it's woody guthrie and like even him singing it is just like oh little bob woody guthrie it's, i know and it actually features up. on uh song to woody which is on his first album he has a line that says i've been hitting some hard traveling's oh, too so cute. yeah very cute so that's cool i enjoyed smokestack lightning really the fr- the first song i lonesome whistle blues i think takes the cake for me i love the way that he sings it oh, wow. is phenomenal and then i think his rendition of baby please don't go it's such a classic song. It's been done by like everyone on God's green earth. Mm. I think it is the most, I think, what did I say? One of the most played, arranged, and rearranged pieces in blues history. Uh, it was made bit famous. Um, I mean, I guess it would have been um, Big Joe Williams, Delta Blues singer in 1935, who first, I think, put it down on something, on, on some vinyl. A baby, please don't. A baby, please don't. I bet please don't you go like you all leave. You know I love you so. Turn your lamb down on. Turn your lamb down on. I bet you all night long. Then in 1953, Muddy's, Muddy Waters recorded it with his electric Chicago blues ensemble. So. That's when it became famous, and then at that point, it's been covered from fucking ACDC to, you know, everybody. I mean, we have like five different MC Five. MC Five, exactly. When are you going to put MC Five on there? You know, it's it's a song that transcends everything. So that Bob Dylan even like knows about it and is picking it up. I think it's fascinating and really, really says everything about it. Yeah, I think that this was a a fantastic thing, and like I said, it's on um, it's on our SoundCloud. Um, otherwise, I think if you if you um, yeah, there's probably some YouTube cuts of it. So if you're ever interested in any of them, if you type it into Google, I a lot of them came up with a YouTube that probably still works. So feel free to do that. Um, the only songs we're really going to hit on again are going to be um, "Standing on the Highway," "Death of Emmett Till." Those are on um, on the Bootleg Series Volume Nine, the Whitmark demos. We already did "Hard Times in New York Town," so that one is going to be out. And Fixing to Die, I guess, is the only other one, which is going to be on um, Bob Dylan, his original album. So a couple of these we will come back to, which will be great. But otherwise, I think that this was a success. This is your first bootleg Bob Dylan album. Kelly, how do you feel? I feel like I'm less torn about it. It it was really really interesting. It's such a funny, funny thing. The, The songs... Are good. I mean, the way he sings is great. He's playing the guitar well. The harmonica is fantastic. Them calling it a harmonica necklace is the best thing. And what ever. would you call it? A harmonica, a harmonica holder, or a necklace? <laughs> I love the necklace. I have one. Yeah. I would call it a harmonica holder. I would also yes. not call it anything because why am I drawing attention to it? So that's most sure. important. She also like, called it a harp. Is that how you want to Yeah, do? a mouth harp. Mouth harp, yeah, which is cute. Which is cute. Yeah. I, I think we should bring that back. Their whole conversation was amazing. So yeah, yeah, it was. It was cool to listen to, and it's it's so it's hard to think about Bob Dylan being twenty, listening to him in nineteen sixty two in twenty seventeen. It's like a lot of things, yeah, in we, one. And and to reemphasize that point, we had that same thought during a song featured here, which is "Hard Times in New York Town." That is on. That's our episode twelve. That was also the episode where we talked about his Nobel Prize. That's also an episode where we talked at length, well, not at length, probably about four or five minutes, where Kelly, out of nowhere, brought out the biography of Cynthia Gooding. So I'm going to try to play it here, but if it gets a little too long, I might cut it. 
So this is more of a note for me, but also a general note. So um, feel free to go back there and listen, because I think that that's pretty illustrative, not only because I think our next thought would almost be, how crazy is it that he is the legend? How crazy is it that he's a Nobel laureate? Like, we tried to do our best um, on a quick episode about the Nobel Prize. Maybe we'll revisit it at some distant date, a couple of years removed uh, from where we are now. But I, th- I still think it's fascinating. 20-year-old Bob flirting with a radio host. Who's his friend doing him a favor? This could have been all for naught. Mm-hmm. Two people weren't going to sit here and spend an entire evening discussing the merits of American music over, you know, a white boy singing some, some black blues songs, you know? Mm-hmm. It's great. America, what a wonderful thing. Everybody treat everybody kind. and Think critically. Have tough conversations, but and be love, nice to each other. Yeah, love one another and be cool. Just be cool. Yeah, just, just be cool. Just be cool. Just be groovy. Be groovy. <laughs> Man, we are just mixing too much, too many podcasts. Yeah, be groovy out there, folks. And uh, yeah, we'll see you um, for the next iteration, which will more than likely be a theme time radio hour since we're kind of alternating between. Um, so we'll see you then. And, and if you don't know, catch us uh, every week. Same time, same place, SOTW pod, sign on the window at Stitcher SoundCloud and iTunes. Good night. Good night.